Well, chapter 12, verse 15. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So the Bible here just very practically is telling you to uh, good form of communication, to be a part of another person's emotions. You know, we often can be so self-centered and so self-consumed that it doesn't really matter what's going on in anybody else's life. We don't care. And that's, that's just wrong. We need to really, we really do need to think of what other people are feeling. What are they feeling right now? What's going on with them? Jesus there had come from a wonderful time of ministry. He knew, he said four days ahead of time, that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Okay, so Jesus here, you see, he knew there was really nothing to sorrow about. But in John chapter 11, it says when he came to Mary and Martha there, and there they were weeping over their brother's death, it says, shortest verse in the Bible, anybody want to try it? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You guys got it, yeah. Jesus, Jesus wept. Why? He knew there was getting ready to be great joy and gladness. He could have said, hey, hey, shut it up. Come on, come on, no crying here. Let's go out to the tomb. Come on, you know, this is not a time of sorrow. It's time of rejoicing. I'm getting ready to raise him from the dead. It's not what he did. He spent some time weeping with them. Much to learn, much to grow, much to know. Now, in communication, and since this is Valentine's week, here's your bit on communication. In communication, you've got to meet that person's emotional communication as well. So if my son comes up to me and says, Hey, Dad, look at this picture I drew. And he's all excited about it. And I go, hmm, yeah, yeah, it's a boat. Yeah, ocean. Uh-huh, very nice, son. Okay. You see, it's not going to work, is it? He's going to walk away feeling unfulfilled. But if I go, wow, that is really great, son. Tell me about it. You see, now I rejoice with him. His, he's going to be met. The same way if you ever talk to somebody on the phone and they're talking to you and you don't say anything. What do they say after a couple minutes? How, hello, are you still there? <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. Why? Because they want you to make sounds and fill in words to let them know emotionally you're there. Yeah, and then this guy at work said this to me. Oh, really? Man. And then you wouldn't believe what happened to me after work. Wow, that's, that's great. You know, you know, they're, they're, if not, you see, they're not going to enjoy communicating with you. And so one, it's not, we're not just body, we're spirit and soul. And so we've got to realize that we are soul, that emotions play a big part on how we hear and how we receive things. That's why the Bible says, um, when we come to, to worship the Lord, you see, it says we need to do it with all that's within us. God desires that men would get everywhere and lift up holy hands. Why? Because when we show emotion, it causes a change inside us. When you lift your hands and worship, something breaks in your heart. There's a humility. There's a humbleness. 
there's a fertileness of your heart. But if you say, well, you know, I know the Bible says worship, lift your hands, but, you know, I'm just not that type of person. Well, there's a part of God's word that's not getting in your heart. And if you lift your hands, you clap your hands, you shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Try to go to a football game and just sit there. Great, you got a touchdown. They're ahead, I'm glad. It doesn't work, you don't enjoy the game. But you start, yeah, right, they won, they got a touchdown, yay, this is great, you see. Now you, you really enjoy what's going on. It's the same with any relationship, including your relationship with Christ. God wants us to, um, with all our emotion, not emotionalism, okay, but with all our emotion, worship the Lord, sing to the Lord, pray to God. And, and, and to join in that chorus, you see, of really pouring our hearts out before the Lord. And because we're spirit, we need to do that to one another. Now, I would like to, to talk to you who have some talents who may not be using them. In the particular, in the area of music and poetry. It's so important that we have a constantly a new song unto the Lord. You know that song, Seek Ye First, the Kingdom of God and His Righteousness? It's a very famous song. It's almost in every hymn book in the world now. Well, Karen Lafferty, when she wrote that, she, she wasn't a songwriter. As that's that's far as I know, that was her first song she ever wrote, maybe her last. But she was a single mom. She didn't have money to take care of her child. They were out of money, and she just cried out to God. And as she began to meditate on that scripture, she wrote that song, Seek Ye First. And she's still getting royalties off that today. You know, 30 years later, still getting probably thousands of dollars a month still from that song. But again, I, I think that we got to realize, and, and see, that's where Satan comes in, because he knows man can reach man emotionally. You can go get some total non-Christian who doesn't know the Lord, who's lost, and he can sing a song about him and his dad going out and play baseball, and it'll bring you to tears. We used to play catch and used to hit the ball, and now dad's dead, you know, and, and you can't do that anymore, and I'm looking at that same old glove, you know, on the, on the shelf there, and remembering dad's hand used to be inside it, and, and, and emotionally, because he's spirit, and because he's soul, and because I'm soul, you see, it, it'll touch me. And see, this is why it's so important that we understand that true Christianity meets the spirit, soul, and body of the person. It really does meet each and every aspect. And that's why he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. See, God wants to, to, to cause that exhilaration in your life towards Him and your relationship towards Him. And we can meet that need in one another by encouraging one another, sharing Bible verses with one another, writing our hearts out in a poetry or in a song. And we can minister to one another in, in that way. And so rejoice with those re who, who rejoice. Put yourself aside and, and rejoice with them. And also sorrow with those who sorrow. Weep with those who weep. And the Bible says there's a time under heaven under every situation. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time for peace and there's a time for war. There's also a time for joy and there's a time for sorrow. 
And you need to meet that need towards one another. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, be of the same mind towards one another. In other words, he's saying don't see certain people differently than other people. Don't put one person over the next. Paul elaborates on this in other places such as Philippians chapter 2. Turn there if you would to the right a few pages to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now listen to verse 3 and 4 in particular, Philippians 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others, how? Better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And so we need, now the world's training us, you see, to look at certain people as elevated in our mind. Oh, you're rich. Oh, you're special. You're a doctor or a lawyer or something who makes lots of money. Oh man, you're, you're, you're special. You're different. You're a garbage collector. Oh, that's nothing. And so by occupation, by good looks. I remember James Dobson talking about uh, when he had a beautiful little girl and, and boy, in the grocery store and everywhere, everybody was just, oh, she's a precious little girl and oh, and, and then she fell and knocked her teeth out, the front two teeth out. Nobody noticed her. Nobody said anything. And he saw how it affected his daughter when she was small, how all that attention to no attention. And so again, it's important that we cast down those lofty, high-minded type of things that the world is telling us to judge people differently. And no, love everybody. And look at everybody's interest is more important than your own interests. See everybody um, better than yourself. In James, he shows this practically in the church in chapter 4, how this would spell out. In the gospel, or James chapter 4, way back towards the end of the Bible. Did I say chapter 4? I think I meant chapter 2. Yeah, it's chapter 2. And there in that chapter it says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts. 
Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and, the con uh, and convicted by the law as a transgressor. And so again, it's, it's important. And I, I know our hearts are do so desperately, deceitfully wicked. You know, it's easy to be willing to help somebody who's rich or poor or be willing to listen to somebody who's good-looking. And uh, we really have to just continue to take our evil heart before the Lord and say, God, help me. Help me not be willing to listen to somebody who's good-looking. Oh, yeah, really? Oh, yeah, tell me more, you know? And somebody who's ugly to say, mm, well, you know, really got to go. That's tough. I'll pray for you. See you later. We got to be careful about that. We really do. We really do. You'd say, oh, no, that doesn't happen. It can happen and does happen because of our wicked hearts. And so, again, we need to see ourselves, not as it says in Romans 16, our mind towards one another the same. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Now, we really need to understand who we are in Christ. And in Christ, it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 26. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 26. Let's see who we really are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So notice, God has chosen the things that are nothing, that He might make them something. God has taken the things that are broken and fixes them and makes them something special in His sight. And we've got to understand that. That we, apart from Christ, can do nothing and that we are nothing. And that day is going to reveal it. You know, it's interesting that the Bible says that Satan comes as an angel of light. And if Satan were to appear right now, we would be dumbfounded with his beauty. It would just, it would be gorgeous. But yet, the Bible tells us at the very end, when judgment comes and we see Satan for what he really is, he's going to look like a worm. <laughs> and so outwardly you may be rich, or you may be good-looking, but inwardly without Christ, you're a worm. And that's where we got to understand, really, not to think that, wow, look at what I've attained to. No, we've attained to nothing. It's God who became for us righteousness and sanctification. So let him who glories, glory in the Lord. Man, you're so patient. You know what? I am the most impatient person in the world. If I happen to be patient with you right now, it's God. Of course, it's always easy to be patient with other people besides your family. 
Yeah, that's, that's when you know that process of sanctification has really taken place, when you're patient with your family. Yeah, and you're just so loving. You know, I am full of hate and bitterness. Without Christ, I, I have no love. It's really Christ who's filled my heart up with love. And so let's be careful not to set our mind on high things. And then finally, he says, or to associate with the humble. And then finally, he says, do not be wise in your own opinion. <laughs> it's amazing how we think we are so smart sometimes, don't we? And he's saying, don't live life that way. Don't think you're clever. Don't think you've got things figured out. Be careful, he says in 1 Corinthians 10. Be careful if you think you stand, less what? You fall. Don't think you've attained to something. Oh man, I know the Bible. I, I can't sin. Satan knows the Bible too and quotes it quite well. Well, I've been a Christian 20 years. It doesn't mean squat. You've got to get in the Word of God today. You've got to deny yourself today. You've got to hide God's Word in your heart today. Or you're going to sin against Him today. No, we're, we never can really arrive until we arrive face to face with Jesus in our new bodies. Some interesting scriptures over in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7, and then Proverbs 14, verse 12. Proverbs. Just sort of open to the middle of your Bible and uh, then go to the right just a little bit if you're new at this. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7, he says there, Proverbs 3, verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. For it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Again, this is where we can get tricked in the fact that God is a patient God and a loving God. And, and see, the Lord has drawn lines a long ways back for us, you see. It's like my, my kids, if I'm in the back when they were small and I had the barbecuer back there, you see. And I'll say to, say my youngest son Tracy now, who's six, but probably not now, he's old enough to know, but when they were smaller, I'd say, now, don't get near that, it's hot. And, and in their minds, they're thinking, oh, I've touched that thing lots of times. But no, you, you're not tall enough to see it, but inside it, i got a fire now. And I'd put up the benches and say, now you stay back here, don't get closer, because if you cross on this side of the bench, you get burned. And there I'm talking to somebody and they sort of come next to the bench. Then they sort of sit on the bench. Then they dangle their legs on the other side of the bench. And then they stand up on that side, other, wrong side of the bench. See, I don't feel any heat. I'm not burned. And then take a couple steps. Nothing. And then they take another step and trip and their face goes against the barbecue. Shh. They thought they were sure-footed. They thought, oh man, I can stand. I'm not going to trip. I'm not going to fall. I know how to walk. Man, be careful. If you are wise in your own eyes, you see, God, God has told us the line's way back here. Have no filthy talk. Have no coarse jesting. Well, but I've done it and I don't sense anything. I'm not burned. 
But before you know it, you see, now you don't have self-control with your mouth at all. Now you're able to cuss and don't even feel bad about it. In the same way, with uh, uh, as he talks about, you know, give your body to sanctification and honor in 1 Thessalonians 4, for God has called us to cleanness. Again, you can say, well, you know, I looked at that girl, I looked at that guy, or I looked at that thing. No, nothing tremendously bad's happened. And you take another, nothing tremendously bad's happened. And, and what happens is you're hooked in, and the time bad stuff starts happening, you're already too deep into it. You're already stuck in the muck and the mire. And so when God says quicksand, he really means quicksand. Even though the sign is put up a few feet away, don't walk even on that other side of that sign. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Be at awe. Be at respect. What God says, do it. And you will be blessed. You won't be 80 years old looking back going, man, I should have lived a little more of a wilder life when I was younger. You won't do it. If you live a holy and a righteous life, when you're 80, you'll, you're, you'll be blessed. And you'll look back going, man, I'm so glad I stayed away from that and I didn't follow my friends there and I didn't say that and I didn't talk like that and I didn't have attitudes like that. I'm really glad I took the Word of God seriously. And then in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. <coughs> in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man. Seems right to him. But its end is the way of death. And so again, it, it's, it's in our minds. Sometimes we can have these thoughts that just we're so sure of them. We're just so sure we're right. But yet then we go to the Bible and it says differently. And you come to that place and that challenge is going to be there. That challenge of saying, am I going to do what God says to do? But it feels so right not to. I mean, I've had people come up and tell me who are living together, let's say, in fornication. And they'll start telling me how blessed they've been ever since they started living together. And usually they come because they see Calvary Chapel and they see Marriage Chapel is what they think. And so they come down and say, you guys marry people? Yeah, come on, we'll talk to you about it. And then we find they're living together. And then you show them clearly in the Scriptures. Fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. But, but, you're telling me that, that you don't know. We looked and this perfect apartment came available. And, and then now we've been putting our money together. We've been getting out of debt. And all, you know, all these, it's like, hey, it seems right. But the end is death. You know, I, I'm not going to argue that it hasn't helped your finances. But stealing helps the thief's finances too. Cheating on your income tax will help your finances and tell you if you ever get audited, then it doesn't. There's a lot of things that help your, that are wrong that can help your finances. It doesn't mean it's right. And so again, we've got to really take note and, and say, go back to the scriptures. If it feels right, don't do it. If it is right, according to the scriptures, then do it. So don't be wise in your own opinion. Go to the scriptures. Be humble. Be broken. And don't think that you're so slick that you don't have to obey the Bible like the rest of us. You do. Now, in verse 17, we're going to read on to the end of the chapters. It all ties together. And then we'll end up here tonight. It says, Repay 
no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's interesting, we've been talking about this passage quite a bit lately, as we've been studying there in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel with Saul and, and David and all. But this one fact really distinguishes Christianity from all religions of the world. Because the rest of the world, you see, they basically have, somebody hurts you, you hurt them back. It's interesting if you look at the other religions, they're always in the negative. Don't hurt others so others don't hurt you. Don't, don't uh, be evil so others aren't evil to you. Don't wrong so you're not wronged. But then we come to the golden rule in Christianity and it says, do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so we're not even as Christians able to remain neutral. We've got to love them. We've got to do good to them. We've got to bless them. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5. <coughs> he says there in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In Matthew 5, verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Notice there, love, bless, do good, pray. You're active towards them. You're not neutral, you're not sitting still, you're active. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so there's this mind set within Christianity that basically says, I'm going to do good to them, no matter what they do to me. Jesus had this same mindset, or we would still be in our sin. Notice in Romans chapter 5, turn there if you would. In verse 8. Actually, let's go back to verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies... For when we were enemies, listen, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, 
we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So we were enemies. We were, in verse 6, it says we were ungodly. We were without strength. In other words, we had no spiritual desires towards God. Um, we weren't even good men. Even good men, one would dare to die. But God demonstrated His love why we were still enemies, why we were sinners. Christ still died for us. Think of that. Think of that. How the Lord had blessed so many, how He had loved so many, how He had healed so many, and then they were out there standing, crucify Him, crucify Him. His heart easily could have been justified going, man, I taught you, I fed you, I blessed you, I healed you. And now you want to see me dead? Fine. Forget you. But he didn't. He humbled himself and became the servant even unto death. And we need to have that same servant mentality. Jesus there, the last act he ever did for the apostles was he washed their feet. And in John 13, he says, you call me master and Lord, and so I am. Now, if you do the same, blessed are you. Do for one another. And so the world needs to see God's love. How are they going to see God's love? By treating us evil and us not treating them evil. This is what Romans chapter 8, remember? Turn back to Romans 8. It says in verse 36, For it is written... Romans 8, verse 36, For it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are as counted as sheep for the slaughters. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. All day long, you see, Jesus says they hated me, they're going to hate you. Those who live godly in this life, 2 Timothy 3, will be persecuted. The world is going to wrong you. That's okay. This is your opportunity, you see, to show the love of Christ. Not to show the justice of the wrath of God that's to come. And so we need to stay out of the way to let God do vengeance as He wants to do vengeance. So there's people that will treat you evil who will not receive the Lord, but don't take out vengeance because now you're getting in the way of God's vengeance. If my one of my kids come to me and says, Dad, so-and-so hit me, my brother hit me, and then I say, did you hit them? Yeah, but he hit me too. Then I'll say, well, you spanked each other. Go sit on your beds for 30 minutes and think about it. I don't, I'm not going to discipline either one of them because they disciplined each other. But if the one comes and says, they hit me, and I say, did you hit them? Well, yeah, but he was making a weird noise and I asked him to stop. Hey, hey, people are annoying, but that doesn't mean you can hit them. You're going to get a spanking. Because I've told you not to, to do that. Now I'll discipline you, you see. And so, in the same way, if we enact some of our wrath on man, then God is not going to enact them on the, His wrath for all of eternity. So stay out of God's way. Besides that, that enemy may be somebody who's going to be in heaven with you for all of eternity. So love them, bless them, do good to them. This is God's opportunity. We pray, Lord, give me the opportunity to be a witness. How is he going to do it? Often, sometimes, it will be from people treating you badly 
and by the love of God who's in you shed abroad in your heart, you just have this compassion and this gentleness and this kindness towards them. And they're blown away about it. That's how we came to repentance. It says in Romans 2, the loving kindness and tender mercies of God has led us unto repentance. God loved us when we were ungodly. God loved us when we were sinners. God loved us when we were enemies. And he killed us with his kindness. Broke us, you see. And that's again where we need to understand that. Paul, the apostle, who was breathing threats against the church, killing some, putting others in prison. He had letters to go to Damascus. But the whole time, he had the nagging face of Stephen in his mind. There as he was holding people's garments at that hearing over the apostle Stephen, or the disciple Stephen, the first one who was stoned. And there, Stephen's preaching to them. They don't like his sermon. And so they take him out to stone him to death. And Paul was holding everybody's garments as they were stoning him. And Stephen, it says, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, just like Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he died. Paul had never seen such a sight. And it pierced him deeply. In the same way, do good, bless. Don't resist the evil man. Some guy's going to whip in front of you and get the parking place. Let him have it. You need to exercise anyway. Go take the farthest parking place and walk. No, I, I'll cut three feet out of my walking if I can get this parking place, you know. Let him have it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Some guy's going to get in front of you at the supermarket. Let him get in front of you. Just say, hey, go ahead. Stop and, and let him go first. What a, what a testimony it is to the world around us. We don't have to resist. We don't have to fight the evil men. We can, we, we can uh, let him have it. If you take your jacket, give him your shirt also. And so we find that we're not to return evil for evil. Now, it says, don't be overcome by evil. And I don't think there's a better story in the Bible on this than Joseph. Remember as his brothers took him and threw him into the pit, and they were going to kill him. And he cried out. His brothers were telling us later, he was crying out saying, Oh, brothers, don't do this thing. Don't do this evil against me. And they cry, he was crying out. And they were going to kill him. And then they saw a caravan coming. And there they said, Hey, why kill him when we can make some money on him? And so they sold him into slavery. And he went down as a slave. Now, he could have been very bitter because he was a free man. He was loved by his father. And, and here, now, he's a slave. And as a slave, his attitude is so precious. It's so good that there Potiphar makes him the chief of all the slaves. Now, he could have been bitter, but he wasn't. He still had that fear of God. And when Potiphar's wife said, come and lie with me, he could have said, forget the God of the Hebrews. What has he ever done for me? But he didn't. He had a tender heart towards God. And he said, I can't sin against God. I can't sin against Potiphar. There's nothing he's withheld from me but you. And he fled. Then he gets, when Potiphar comes home, he goes to the courts and the gavel comes crashing down. Guilty. You're a rapist. Now he's in prison. 
And there in prison, he has that dream, and, and he has one for the baker and one for the cupbearer. And he tells the cupbearer, you're going to be released. Don't forget about me. He totally forgot about him. Two years had passed. He's still writing in that prison. But his attitude is so precious that even in that prison, he becomes the chief prisoner. It's because his heart and his attitude was so right. It wasn't rebellious. It wasn't argumentative. It wasn't fighting against. And there, years later, his dad is now dead and all his brothers are in Egypt. As you remember the story, the seven years of good and seven years of bad. And they, all the Israelis come and they live in the land of Goshen there in Egypt. And Jacob dies and the brother said, Well, we know you didn't hurt us for dad's sake. But now that dad's dead, oh, please, you know. And he began to weep. And he said, how could I ever be a judge over you? And besides, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The whole time he always had in his heart, God's going to turn this around. There's a reason I'm a slave. There's a reason I'm a prisoner. There's reason that the, that the cupbearer forgot about me. There's a reason. And then he saw when the full circle came around, he was able to see Man, what a wonderful plan God had in store for the failures of my brothers. And he always kept that tender heart. We now, we're not going to all live long enough. We're not going to be in, a, in this space long enough to be able to see everything come full circle. You may see somebody treat you evil, and that's all you ever see is them treat you evil. But yet you did your part. You loved them as Christ has loved you. Whatever happens to them, you'll know on that day. But a seed has been sown by your life. The Bible says in Titus, read by all men. You. You are the Bible that many people will only ever read. You were the gospel of Matthew. They saw you. They saw Jesus through your life hanging upon the cross. They saw Jesus through you saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They saw Jesus because you were the Bible. You were that a testimony read by all men. And so again, we don't want to return evil for evil. We want to have good things in the sight of all men. Now that's towards those who are outside. What about in the church, believers? Well, again, who are we? We're not the noble. <laughs> we're not the wise. We're the downcast and the outcast and the broken and the despised. That's who we are, and we're all together in one room here tonight. And this is the great testimony that we have, you see, that the world sees this bunch of ragamuffins, and we truly are able to get along, and we're able to love one another. I have a book at home, and it's a testimony about a youth pastor. And the youth pastor was talking about how there's this one particular kid who was just obnoxious to the nth degree. And he came into the youth group and, and, and just everything about him made you cringe. And he would say stupid things. He would be disruptful. He would be crude and rude. And the youth pastor a couple times had to have him leave. to say, you're so disruptive, I, I've got to have you leave because you're, you're disrupting the whole group. But yet he came back. And there, as this youth pastor was reading the scriptures, it came, we got to love this guy. And so she secretly got the youth group together and said, we're just going to love him. We're going to bless him. 
just think of what you would want. If you're sitting there going, boy, I wish somebody would give me cookies, bake some cookies, and let's give it to this guy. If you're thinking, man, I, I would like to, I'd like people to want to sit next to me and say, wow, I want to sit, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to sit next to him. If you're thinking, man, I, I got new clothes on and, and nobody said anything about it, well, you pick out somebody who has new clothes on I'm gonna, and, and, and say something polite about him. Don't be phony. Be real. But nevertheless, let's truly love him as Christ has loved him. And they begin to shower him with love. And there, very disruptive, he continued to be for quite some time. And then one day, this youth pastor got a phone call from the parent, the mom. And the dad was there in the room. And she said, what are you doing with my son? And she says, what do you mean? Well, all he did is he came in and he said, that church. And he began to weep. And he couldn't stop crying. And he continued to cry. And, I, and he's been crying now for a couple of hours. And, and we don't know what you guys did to him. And the youth pastor said, we've been trying to love him. And finally the boy, realizing the mom hadn't caught on, he finally stopped his crying and says, no mom, you don't understand. They really love me down there. And it ended up winning the mom and the dad to the Lord because they loved that boy. And so in the same way, we need to realize that in the church, we are a bunch of porcupines. We're all pokey. And we rub each other and cause each other to bleed sometimes. And sometimes we try to get closer to one another and, and the deeper you get poked. But we can't let the fact that we're all a bunch of porcupines keep us from loving each other. We still got to love. We still got to give. We still got to share. We still need to be there. Even though you may be hurt by what they said or feel offended by what they did or didn't do, we just got to realize, no, think in another mindset. Well, three of my good friends, they asked to go out bowling. And, and, and when I called the three friends if they want to do something Friday night, they all said they had something to do and they didn't tell me what it was. And now I found out they all went bowling and they left me out. Man, that hurts. Well, have you ever done that? Yeah, I've done that. You know what? They, they probably just didn't think about it. Or maybe they just... Wanted to get together just those four guys for one time. That's okay. I'm that way sometimes. I just want to get together with two different people, although I have maybe six other people that are good friends of mine, but I just don't want to get together with all of them at once right now. You see, I can change my heart. I don't have to get offended. If I want to be offended, it doesn't take much, but I don't have to be. And so this is where it says, again, regard good things in the sight of all men. You don't have to think a negative story up. And so again here it says, live at peace with all men, far as it's what? Up to you. It's not always up to you. The fact is, is there are unreasonable people that are unreasonable. And they will be unreasonable until the day they die. And there's, there's nothing you can do about it. There's absolutely nothing you can do. You can pray for them, you can love them, and they will just throw it right back in your face. And... Um, but it's not always possible for you to be at peace. And if it's not, then uh, you don't go to war, but at the same time, you don't lie down and become a doormat to walk on you either, you see. 
if somebody has broken that trust, then at that point, you love them and you greet them, you do good to them, but at the same time, you've got to protect yourself. So if I'm trying to, to love somebody and I invite them into my house and then I find later that they stole something out of my house, you see, I don't invite them back in to steal something out of my house again, but at the same time, it doesn't mean I hate them. It doesn't mean I do good, bad to them. I will steal something of theirs. But at the same time, the trust is broken down. And I know they did it. They're not willing to admit it. And that's okay. I, I still love them. But at the same time, I, I, they're not making it possible because they're not repenting of it. They're not willing to say, hey, I blew it. And so I, I'm, I'm, I love them. But at the same time, I'm not going to be able to bless them. I'm not going to be able to have the relationship with them that I would like to be able to have. And therefore, the trust is broken down. And so until repentance comes, until that trust can be restored back, that relationship really can't go much farther. And then on the other hand, there's just unreasonable people that are going to try to injure you at work, let's say. They're lying about you, saying you're coming in late when you're not or whatever. Then again, when the time comes, your boss says, hey, you know, you're always late. And say, no, I'm not. That person said I was late but I really am not late. You, you don't lay down and say, whatever, I'll just take it patiently and not say anything. No, I mean, you, you want to say something and say, hey, you know, I've tried to be at peace with this guy. It's not really possible, but what he's saying about me is not true. And so those situations do happen. But far as in the church, you see, we need to be at peace with one another. And there's several verses I want to look at, but we'll just look at one tonight over in James Chapter 3, verse 13. Back over in the book of James. James chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done. And notice, the meekness of wisdom. That's power under constraint, is meekness. Jesus could have called all the angels out of heaven and killed everybody, but yet he, in meekness, you see, he didn't do that. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, Confusion and every evil thing will be there. Now verse 17. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. So the wisdom has no strings attached. I'm not telling you this because I have some angle. I'm telling you this because it's the truth. Then it's peaceable. It's not argumentative. It's not in your face. It's not, but it, there's a peace about it. It's gentle. And then notice an important one. It's willing to yield. It doesn't have to have the upper hand. It has, doesn't have to be right. It can be, it's willing to yield. Often in decision making, when people come in and say, I want to make this decision, and, and, and this person, my wife or my husband, or this person here wants to make this decision, and, and I really want to do it, and they're holding me back. And I'll say, you know what? The wisdom from above is willing to yield. It's willing to say, hey, you know, I, I would like to go out and have pizza tonight, but hey, what do you feel like? 
you see. It's, it has that willingness to yield. Or, that's really what I want to do. Let's do it. No, it, I'm, will, I'm willing to yield to you as well. What's, what's in your heart? It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so the wisdom from above again, its power is not in its delivery. Its power is not in its smoothness. Its power is in the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And so again, if possible, be at peace. And that's the kind of peace we should have. Again, don't have vengeance, back in Romans 12, towards anybody. That's God's and His alone on the day of judgment. And in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Do good to him. If he's thirsty, give him to drink. Bless him. And in so doing, you heap coals of fire on his head. Now, this could mean one of two things. This is a quote out of Proverbs 25. Some say this. Some say, as sort of tying into verse 19, by doing so, you're leaving, by not taking any vengeance and by blessing them, you're leaving all the room now for God to judge them to the severest degree that He can judge because you've not taken any judgment upon yourself. And so the coals of fire, referring to hell and damnation, will be upon His head one day for, not, uh, for the way He treated you if He doesn't get saved. But others say this, and I think this is probably more in the line. In those days, making a fire was a lot of work. Having to rub sticks together and, and flint and however they did it. And so when somebody normally in the neighborhood would make a fire, they would share it with everybody else. And how do you take the fire back? You get the coals nice and hot, so you put extra coals on, you see. And so when the guy comes over with his coals, you put one of your hot coals in with his, he gets his coals going, and then he takes them home. And, of course, they carry things in the middle on their heads. And so you send him home with coals of fire on his heads. And I think this is probably the most accurate interpretation of this. And so they come in cold, but you love them, you feed them, you do good to them, you bless them, and you leave them out warm. You've warmed them up through the love of God. In verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's tough, folks, because there's a lot of evil in the world. And I remember there in that Cory Timboom movie, if you've never read the book, The Hiding Place, or seen the movie, I don't remember if it's in the movie or it's not, it's in the book. But there, um, Corey is upset with the Nazis and, and there's, you know, the, the Timboom family are hiding the Jews. And now the Nazis have caught them and they're arresting their dad and they're arresting everybody in the house. And the dad says to Corey concerning the Nazis, they're the, they're the apple of God's eye. In other words, when God looks down at these Nazis, he, he looks with love at them and compassion and mercy and, and, and apathy and empathy for them and, and just looking at them like going, they're so lost. They're so blind. Satan has got them wrapped around his finger, making them do hideous things, you see. And so again, Corey Toombe took that with her and so when they were brutally treating her and beating her and her sister in the prison because they hid Jews, 
She had that seed in her heart going, how does God see these Nazis? He sees them as the apple of his eye. He doesn't wish harm to them. It says in Ezekiel, God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. Nor should we. Evil can get very evil. And there in that concentration camp, as her sister is dying, she says to Corey, Corey, we've been to the lowest pit anybody on earth can ever be. And God was here. Go and tell the world. However evil gets, God's love is greater. However wicked man can be, God's love can still fill our hearts to love them in a greater way yet. So don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil good. No matter how evil that evil may end up being, God's love will be greater still. And when you come to the end of your love, it's only because God is wanting to open up another facet of your life to fill more of his love into you. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 3 that you might be filled with the width and the length and the height and the breadth to be filled with the love of God that passes human comprehension. That you could be filled up with the fullness of God which all the saints are experiencing. Now I guarantee you, you're going to tap out on the love that you've experienced thus far in Christ. And let me tell you, there's a great, another greater love still. There's another greater love still. And in practical ways, guys, we just got to change our mind. I was on the freeway this last week and I was heading up to go speak at a camp and, and I was in the fast lane and the traffic was really flying. I was going about 80 miles an hour, 75 up there. And, uh, and there was cars on each side of me and in front of me, and there's like 10 cars going 80 in front of me. And this guy comes up, I mean, two inches away from my bumper, you know. Get out of my way, you know. This is the 125 mile an hour zone, you know. And, <laughs> and I can't go anywhere, and it's pouring down rain. And this guy is right on my bumper. I can't do anything about it. Now, my heart says, slam on your brake. Teach this guy a lesson. And I'm just like going, no, nope, no, nope. one, that could be dangerous, but two, it's just, it's not what Jesus would do. And this guy just continued, and I couldn't do anything about it, and this went on and on, and I'm looking at my rearview mirror, and you know, five minutes go by, and I'm just, okay, get the anger, suppress it, you know, ten minutes, I'm all angry again, you know, and, and you know, I, and finally, you know, about 20 minutes down the road, I, I finally was able to pull off. But I had to convince myself of things. I had to, I had to say, the guy's probably, his wife's pregnant and he's trying to get her quickly to the hospital. <laughs> the guy's having an asthma attack and he needs to get his asthma medicine. You know, I, the, you know, I had to come up, give this guy excuses. And uh, then finally, when I got off and he rode by me, he let me know he didn't appreciate the fact that, uh, uh, you know, he gave me a gesture and it wasn't high. <laughs> And I'm just like, okay, God, help me. <laughs> help me here, you know? Because I, I want to let this guy know that he's a jerk. <laughs> but at the same time, I just, I just help me, Lord. And, uh, and so again, we're going to get in those very practical situations where guys are jerks and you can give them excuse, give them excuse, give them excuse, give them excuse, and they still aren't worthy of your forgiveness and of your love. But neither were we. And we still aren't, but God still, still keeps forgiving us. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight and ask that you would 
cause it to be richly embedded within our hearts and our minds, this most important Christian principle of living that life for you, the way you would have us to live. And we already know this is in our heart because your Holy Spirit lives in us. And so we already know that your Holy Spirit's testifying us to do this, but yet our flesh is so strong sometimes we don't want to obey that still small voice, that gentle leading of the Holy Spirit. We would rather give place to wrath. But Lord, we know as James 1 says that the wrath of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. So help us, Lord, to truly be Christ-like. To truly, as nails are being driven through our hands and the crown of thorns being upon our head, that our hearts would be filled with love and that we would be able to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Strengthen our lives, Lord, that we could truly live as you would have us live. Humble, lowly, willing to associate with all people, not thinking ourselves to be something when we're really nothing. And to live that life as you have lived, humbling yourself as a servant. Seeing everybody's more important than ourselves. Seeing everybody's interest is more important than our own interest. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.